Guys, I am so excited this morning. As Zach mentioned, you know, he asked me to design a sermon series, and Esther is one of my favorite books in the Bible, so this was a no-brainer. So I was like, yeah, let's do Esther. And so I'm really excited that I get to kick this off this morning. But before we dive in, though, I have a story for you. And you can stop me if you've heard this before. I'm just kidding. I'm going to continue on regardless. And if you have any complaints, follow them with Ken Brooks, and he will uh, fire off five dad jokes back to back for you. I've seen him. I've seen him do it. But <laughs> all right. But anyways, there were two brothers who were known for being troublemakers in their town. So the local pastor decided that he was going to take a shot at setting them straight. And so he has them over to the church office one day. And he puts one, sits one of the brothers outside of the church office, and he has the other one in. And so he asks the one that he brings in, he says, where is God? And uh, the boy doesn't answer, he just kind of looks down at his feet. So the preacher gets a little bit bolder. Where is God? Boy doesn't look up, he just squirms a little bit more, doesn't answer, he refuses to look up. So the preacher stands up. And in his sternest preachery voice, he says, where is God? The boy runs out of the office, out of the church, and he is gone. So a little bit later, his brother comes home, and he goes looking for him. He finds that he is under his bed. And he says, dude, what happened? Why did you go running out? And the little boy says, we're in big trouble now. God is missing, and they think we had something to do with it. <laughs> but I got the same question for you today that the preacher had for that little boy. Where is God? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever asked yourself, where is God? You know, here is little old me on this planet, and this planet is flying around the sun, and, it, and the sun is just one of many stars in our galaxy. And I am just so small and insignificant. And why would God take notice of me? Or I'm going through a difficult time. And if I'm going through this hard time, does that mean that God has forgotten about me? My health isn't the greatest. Or my friendships and relationships are a mess. My finances are in terrible shape. Or I got laid off from my job or there's this coworker or another student in school that I have to deal with, or you're struggling with whatever it is that you're struggling with, and you're like those two rowdy brothers, and you've thought, where is God? Is God missing? Has God forgotten about me? And you ask yourself these questions, though, is God mad at me? And some of you even feel ashamed just at me bringing that up, because you were struggling with that question this morning as you drove to 160 Steelsburg Highway. And you sat in the parking lot and you put on your church face, right? And you came in here and you said, praise Jesus, it is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. And God bless you and you and you. And you're not really feeling it because you're asking yourself, where is God? Where is he in my situation? And you feel, you feel guilty about it because you know that God is everywhere. And, and you can't let the person beside of you know that you ever struggle 
because what would they think? Have you been there? So I want you to look to your left. Okay. All right, some of you, some of you struggle with this. You look to my left. Hold your hands out in front of you. The one that makes an L, that's your left. Okay. So look to your left. Now look to your right. Now look up here. All right, this isn't an Old Spice commercial, okay? But everybody that you just looked at has struggled with that same question, has struggled with that, where is God? Has God forgotten me? We've all had that same struggle. We've all asked those same questions, and that is why it's terrific that you're here today. I think this study on Esther can be really beneficial to those of us who have those where is God moments. Because here's the deal, and it's audience participation time. How many books are in the Bible? Good. All right, 66 books in the Bible. We have 66 books in the Bible, but do you know that there is one book in the Bible that never mentions God by name? Can you guess what it is? Good. All right, that was a fairly easy one since we know that we're starting a series on Esther. But, but yeah, Esther is the one book in the Bible that doesn't mention God by name. And if you're thinking, wait, why would there be a book in the Bible that doesn't mention God by name? Then you're on the right track. Because truthfully, if you asked five different you know, preachers, teachers, theologians, Bible scholars, whatever, you might get five different answers to that question. But there aren't five different people up here with microphones attached to their clothing. So... Because wouldn't that be so confusing? All right, so, but you're going to kind of get my answer to that. And I think that, that really the key to that is actually in a different book of the Bible. All right? And that's over in Romans. And Romans 8, 28 tells us this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So God works in all things, not just the good things, you know, when you're, when you're eating bacon under a rainbow and somebody comes along and they hand you $20, it's easy to throw a fist bump up to God and say, yes, God, you were in that, right? Yes, that's a God thing right there. I'm having a good day. But when you are eating asparagus on a rainy day and someone comes along and they kick dirt in your face, we're not so quick to say, well, that's God right there, right? But God is still in control when that happens too. And as we look at Esther, we're going to see that God is working things out for his people for good. Some bad people are going to come into the story. Some bad things are going to happen. But God is still working whether we plainly see him in this story or not. And you're going to go out of here and something's going to happen to you, and maybe you're just going to say, well, that's just work. That's not, that doesn't have anything to do with God. Or that's just dealing with my family. That doesn't have anything to do with God. So when we're looking at the story of Esther, and at the end of the day, we're going to say, you know, God may not have been mentioned, but wow, look at what God did there. Then you can take that and internalize that. And you can take that same enthusiasm and apply it to your life. And when you have those where is God moments, you can say, I may, not see I may not see now, and I may not know why or how, but God is right here with me, and he is working it for my good. 
So, if you want to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app or whatever, we're going to start in Esther chapter 1, verse 1. Seems like a good place, right? And, and it tells us this. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. Doesn't that verse make you want to glorify God? This is why the Bible is so amazing, though, because you read that and you don't think, wow, I want to memorize that and I want to, I want to internalize that and make that part of my life, right? You know, when we have our year-end Awana Awards thing and we talk about the hundreds of verses that children have memorized and said, I guarantee you that zero of them are Esther 1-1, okay? So, so, you know, that this, nobody's going to make that their life first, but there's still a lot for us to talk about right here. First of all, some of your translations may refer to this king as Xerxes. Some of them may refer to him, refer to him as Ahasuerus, okay? Don't worry if, if yours says Ahasuerus. You're not in the wrong book of Esther. You can stop looking for Esther 2 or, you know, 2nd Esther, you know, another day in the kingdom or whatever, Okay, it's, it's all this one book, but Xerxes was a Persian king. And when I say Persia, that's the area that today we call Iran. So Xerxes is this guy's name in Persian, and Hazarus is a Hebrew translation of that same name. Kind of like today, we might call somebody John Teats in English, but we would call him Juan Teats in Spanish, right? So as we go through the story of Esther, rather than just start at chapter 1, and go until we get to chapter 9. We're going to focus on different people as we see how God is working in each of these lives to accomplish his will. And just because it's easier for my tongue, I'm going to go ahead and call him Xerxes all day. But if that's a struggle for you, if you need to whisper a hazardous under your breath every time I say it, I promise not to be offended, okay? But a little bit of, little bit of background. At this point in time... When we're looking at Esther, the Israelites are no longer a sovereign nation. They still have a national identity. They even have a homeland. But they are subjects of the Persian Empire. And as we just read, one of the leaders, one of the rulers and kings of the Persian Empire is, an, is a guy named Xerxes. Now, do you know what the Bible tells us about Xerxes' birth? Nothing. Okay. There's nothing in the Bible about the birth of Xerxes. It just starts off in Esther 1.1 and boom, Xerxes is the king. The Bible doesn't start with his birth. It starts with him in power. But we're going to take a look back and get a little bit of background on this guy. So Xerxes was the king of Persia from 486 B.C. to 465 B.C. All right, but here's the thing. He wasn't supposed to be the king of Persia. When a king dies, who usually becomes the next king? Their oldest son, right? So typically, the oldest living son of the king becomes the next king. So Xerxes was a child of the prior king, King Darius, but he was not actually his firstborn. Before Darius became king, he was married to a commoner, and he had a son named Artabazanes. After he became king... Darius took another wife. Her name was Atossa, and that leads to the king of Xerxes. So Atossa was the daughter of Cyrus, who was the founder of the Persian Empire. So as Darius' first child, after becoming king, 
And as the grandson of Cyrus, Xerxes skipped line over Artabazanes to become king. And I'm so thankful for that because I would much rather say Xerxes all day than have to talk to you about Artabazanes. Okay? So before we even meet Xerxes, though, God has already worked a situation where someone who shouldn't be king has become king. God works all things together for good. So something else you should know about Xerxes, and this, this part you can find in your Bibles, the dude likes to party. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 of Esther chapter 1. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. So I said he liked to party, and you were thinking, well, Trav, I enjoy parties too. Xerxes had a six-month party to set, so he could say, look at how rich I am. And you read that and you say, okay, Trav, I get it. Okay, dude liked to party. He liked to get down. And I would respond with, no, I, I still don't think that you understand how much he likes to party. Because you know what he does at the end of his six-month party? Verse 5 tells us, when these were days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. So there's nothing like a six-month drunken party to put you in the mood for a week-long drunken party. So here's the deal. For 187 days, this king is under the influence and that's where I'd really like for us to look into our own lives today so we can answer this question for ourselves. What drives me? Because we all have influences in our lives. We all have something or someone we're living for. So here's something that you can take home with you today. Your influences affect your effectiveness. They do. Have any of you ever watched hockey like I'm not asking, you know, is, is hockey your life, but are you basically familiar with how hockey works? Ice, sticks, puck, that kind of thing. Okay. So if you're, if you're just generally acquainted with, with hockey, then one of the most important positions in hockey is a fellow they call the goalie. And that's not just because he has the coolest helmet, but because your goalie is the one who is responsible for keeping the opposing team from scoring on your goal. But sometimes, towards the end of a hockey game, if a team is losing, if they're a point or two behind, they will take off, one, they will take off their goalie and put in an extra offensive player. And the hope is, with, with an extra person trying to score, maybe we can tie up this game. But that's something you would only do as a last-ditch effort when you're about to lose anyways, because what can happen? If you lose control of the puck, then the other team, they have, a, they have free reign to score on you, right? So if it's just, if it's a close game and you're in the lead, you're not going to take off your goalie because you don't want the other team catching up. But as a last-ditch effort, sometimes they'll do that. Do you want to have an effective life? Do you want to do good and meaningful things, then you need to guard your goals. 
You have to have something in the way saying, I'm going to guard what I'm doing. You can look at your life and, and something comes along and it's an opportunity. You can say, you know, no, I am, that is not compatible with who I want to be, so I'm going to block that. Or you can say, yes, that is exactly where I think God wants me to be, so I will allow that. You have to guard your goals. So the first thing that we see that is driving Xerxes' life is his stuff. So number one question for you today, are your possessions possessing you? If you go and read all of this first chapter of Esther, you find that King Xerxes is using this 187-day party to show off his wealth. He's all, you know, I'm the king, I have all the money, I have the nicest things, I have the best food and the best wine, and this is a guy who is obsessed with his material possessions. So we read this, and we can, we can pretty clearly see that this is a guy who is under the influence of, of large amounts of booze. All right? If you read that, that's pretty clear. But if we look just a little bit closer, we see that he is just as influenced by his wealth. And this is where we can all go astray. We think that the Christian life is about avoiding the, the worst things. But let's look at what the, what the New Testament tells us. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So, the lack of self-control that comes from too much alcohol, that's a bad representation of Christ. Okay, We can all agree on that, but it doesn't end there. That's just a point of reference for a larger truth. This isn't just a don't do this situation. It's don't do this, but do this instead. Because anything you allow to consume your life can push you away from God. And that's why God gives us an alternative. Don't fill your life up with drunkenness, but fill it with the Holy Spirit instead. Don't let your life be consumed with your Corvette, but sing a song to God. Don't let your life be driven by chasing the opposite sex, the wrong friendships, success at work, success at school, success at sports. Whatever it is, good, bad, or indifferent, you can name anything there and say, don't be driven by this, but be filled with the Spirit instead. There's a saying that, that he who dies with the most toys wins. And I'm not saying whether that's true or untrue, but if I have to die to win the game, I don't think I want to play. Right? Okay. And, and I'd much rather live a life that has had a positive impact on those who remain than spend my days collecting more stuff. He doesn't know it, but Xerxes at this point has 18 years left of his life. And he really doesn't have much to show for it. So... Some of you grew up watching, uh, watching wrestling in the 80s like I did. So if I mention a guy by the name of Ted DiBiase, you've heard of him, okay? For those of you who don't know, Ted DiBiase was a WWF wrestler in the 1980s. Now we're all up to speed. Awesome. Okay, so. But Ted became a Christian in the early 90s. And in talking about some of the excesses and wrong turns in his life, he said this, Satan doesn't throw you off a cliff, he rolls you down a hill. 
a lot of times we become distant from God, not because we're doing the wrong things, but little by little we fail to do the best things. And when we fail to do the best things, that's when we are rolling down a hill away from God. That's when we get that distance, okay? We can be like King Xerxes and be influenced by alcohol and any other possessions or pursuits that we want to have in our lives. But there's another thing we need to be on the lookout for as well. We can also be under the influence of the wrong people. Let's look at Esther 1.12. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him. I hope you'll forgive me as I skip reading all of these names, and I don't struggle through this, but God knows who they are. To bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order, to, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. The king became furious and burned with anger. So Xerxes is in high spirits, it says, or basically he was just high. All right? And he has shown off his palace and his gardens and his very best wine, and I'm sure by this point he's probably shown off his breakdancing skills, and, and now he wants to show off his wife. And this king, he is drunk as a skunk, and it says he called for Queen Vashti to come over in her crown, but she declines the invitation, which actually sobers him up for the first time in half a year. Amen to that, right? But, but, but this takes us to our next concern, the influence of the ungodly. So if you go and read the book of Esther this week, I encourage you to do that, you'll find that Xerxes tends to follow the advice of whomever he last spoke with. Good or bad, if you get the last word, you're probably going to get your way with him. All right? Esther 1.19 tells us what his advisors tell him. Therefore, if it pleases the king... Let him issue a royal decree, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed. So the Persians had this rule, okay? If you're a king, you can make laws and rules and decrees, okay? We understand what a king is. We know that's fairly standard, right? But there's, this no, there's no option to repeal a law once it's been put in place. So let's say I'm the king, and my child has a really hard day of homework. I might say, you know what, I'm going to ban schools. So if I make that law today, it, tomorrow when I realize, well, that was a little short-sighted of me, I don't have the option to repeal that law. And so, so I don't have the option to just disregard a law. So any king of Persia, with that being the case, should rule in a way that is thoughtful and not just make decisions based on their current mood or blood alcohol level. Okay, so the, the, the idea is, you know, if I'm king and I pass a law you don't like, well, there's no point in, in assassinating me so that you can repeal the law because it can't be repealed. Okay, so hooray for discouraging assassinations, but all of this is a great decision why one shouldn't make laws while they are on a six-month bender. Okay, so what recommend, recommendation do these people make to the drunken king? All right, here's the rest of verse 19. They tell him he should make a law that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes and let the king give her royal position 
to someone else who is better than she. So Xerxes says, yes, that one. I want to make that a law. And for the day, that's great. All right. Once I was driving to Charlottesville, and I stopped at Sonic, and at the, at the time, they had something that said that it was a um, chocolate jalapeno milkshake. And I thought, this is probably a bad idea. But I decided to try it out. And what I was expecting was a chocolate milkshake with maybe a little bit of jalapeno juice in it, a little bit of flavoring, right? What I got was a chocolate milkshake that had tiny chunks of jalapenos in it. So you take a sip, and you're getting little chunks of jalapeno coming into your mouth. And I was not a fan. And, and I thought, maybe if I wait an hour, the milkshake will melt, and all of the jalapenos will kind of sink to the bottom, and then I can enjoy the chocolate milkshake. That, too, did not work out how I'd hoped. Sometimes... A bad decision just stays a bad decision. And Xerxes hasn't thought this through, and he has made a bad decision. Same kind of thing that happens when some of you utter the words, hey, y'all, watch this, right? Okay, so he's made a bad decision, and he's decided to show her just who's the man. But do you know what happens when you do what feels like a good idea in the moment? That's the starting line of a race to regrets. Esther 2.1 tells us later, every decision we make without thought of consequence has a later attached to it, right? Later, when Xerxes' fury has subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. See, guys, the wrong influences will bring us face-to-face with regret. In the case of King Xerxes here, it cost him his marriage. And that kind of speaks to the world we live in today, doesn't it? A lot of marriages end because someone doesn't think about what comes in the later. Good friendships and relationships end. Jobs are lost. Reputations are damaged because of someone making an emotionally impaired decision without thinking about the later. And maybe you're in your later right now. Maybe you're drinking a big old jalapeno milkshake today. Then listen, because I'm not here to beat you down with guilt. But folks, this isn't the end of Xerxes' story. If you're in your later, you don't have to keep beating yourself up over it. You don't have to keep living in that moment because God is a gracious God. Going back to Romans 8, 828, God is working good in this bad situation. We'll get to her in a minute, but let's learn from this today. The people you surround yourself with are going to have an influence on your life. If you stir your coffee with a spoon, what happens if you let go of the spoon? It just keeps going, right? The, the momentum of what's around it carries the spoon right along. And I've been talked into bad choices by not surrounding myself with the best people. But I've also had situations where I was about to make a bad decision and somebody talked me down from it. And and, and that's the situation where you avoid regrets. So we all have influence on others 
but we're all going to be influenced by others. Guys, who you surround yourself with, that is going to impact what you do now. It's also going to determine whether you have to live with regrets later. So we have to be wary of, of being driven by objects and stuff. And we also have to be mindful of allowing the wrong influences in our lives. But we also need to actively have people who are good influences in our lives. Romans 12, 21 tells us this. Do not, over, be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, we aren't just saying, I do not, cho I do not choose the worst, but we should actively cling to what is best. And we're going to see that in action in our study of Esther. Because just like you and I do, Xerxes has made a regrettable decision. But because God is God, and God is amazing, and God is gracious, and God is love, he is about to send some good into the king's life. And that's going to come in the form of a beautiful Jewish woman. Can you guess what her name is? Esther, right. Y'all are doing really good at this stuff. Okay. And, and, and that's good because I thought someone would answer Jesus or prayer because those tend to be the, the churchy answers you go with. But this morning, Esther is a good answer. Okay. But Esther was a good choice. And so let's talk about the, how this goes down because in our day, this would be a reality dating show called Who Wants to Marry a King? All right. So Xerxes looks around and realizes that he has the nicest things he has the most educated advisors, and for all that, he is living out a sad country song in his empty palace, okay? To paraphrase 20th century poet and philosopher Bono, he still hasn't found what he's looking for. <laughs> so he sends people out to find the most beautiful women in all his empire, and eventually the women are brought in one by one before Xerxes, and this happens. This is Esther 2, 17. The king loved Esther more than he loved any of the other women. He was nice to her because he liked her. He put the crown on her head, and he made her queen. So Esther became queen instead of, instead of Vashti. The king gave a great feast. Obviously, this is going to lead to him throwing a party, right? There was never any doubt about that. But anyways, so on the show, Who Wants to Marry a King, he offers the final rose to Esther. And he makes her his new queen, which is the best thing he could do because she is the positive influence that his life has been lacking for so long. For so much of his life, Xerxes has been overcome by evil. You know, he had the wrong intentions and he had the wrong people around him. We'll see more about it in the coming weeks. But Esther and her adoptive father Mordecai, they come into his picture. And for all these negatives, the king is finally going to make some positive changes because he's finally going to have some positive influences in his life. He finally makes a change in how he's living his life, in what he's doing, in the laws he's making because of Esther. And I wonder, how many people have we written off? How often do we see someone 
headed down the wrong path and we decide they're hopeless when what they really need is the influence of a godly person like us. Be the difference someone needs. That's what being the church is all about, guys. But, but let's bring it home to ourselves as well. Who are you surrounded by? If your attitude and your feelings are negative more often than not, then maybe you need to take a look at who you're surrounding yourself with. Because none of us are above being influenced by other people. Xerxes, if you read about him, he is a guy with a tendency to act before thinking. But so that God could be glorified, and so God's people could be saved, Xerxes needed the right influence in his life. And, and we've looked at this today, though. Um, I hope you're starting to take away what we're building to, because even when we can't see God, even when we can't see him, God is active and he's present in our lives. Sometimes we're looking for God to part the Red Sea or bring down fire from heaven or tear down city walls. But do we know what we should look at today in this life of Esther and be amazed by? God placed Esther in a position to have influence over an easily influenced king. But way before that, God placed a king in power who shouldn't have been king so that he would choose a queen who shouldn't be queen. And that is not a flashy miracle. That's not God calling down fire from heaven. But that is God working still in the lives of these people to make a better ending. And maybe you've wondered, why doesn't God work miracles in my life? Why doesn't God do amazing things for me? And I'd ask, are you sure that he hasn't? Or are you looking for God to show up in a pillar of fire when he's actually already shown up through the people he has placed by your side? One way or another, though, guys, you're here by a divine appointment. And, and I want you to consider, what is driving you? Is there something that you're obsessed with that is pulling you away from God? Are the people that you're surrounded with pulling you away from who you should be? Or are you surrounded by people who build value into your life? And as we wrap it up, it's going to be stated pretty simply, but this is simply true. Don't pursue the wrong things and pursue God instead. So, so don't make it all about what I can gain, what possessions I can have. Make your life about pursuing God. But secondly, don't surround yourself with bad influences, but surround yourself with good. Make sure that the people who are in your life, that you're surrounding yourself with, who are influencing you, who are determining who you're going to be, are, are being positives in your life. All right, so let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to be together. I just thank you for your word, and I thank you that you are working all things together for, for our good. I thank you that, that you work miracles, and even when we may not realize it. And I just thank you for being you, and, and I ask you if there's anybody in here today who doesn't know you, that they would take the time to turn themselves over to you today and make you their Savior. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.